It is showtime, baby. Here we go. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. And you can see he's rising to the occasion. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Oh, awesome, baby, with a down with the leg. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. This is your captain, baby. Hey, come with me. The doctor is now in. All right, hour number two, more college basketball we're talking about here today. And uh, Chuck Esposito will join us over at Red Rock coming up at the uh, bottom of the hour. And again, don't forget, we're at the Westgate Las Vegas on Friday. Getting ready for a little Hoop Central as well, too, Thursday, Friday of the uh, opening round of the tournament. All right, and a team that's looking to get to that tournament is the UNLV Runner Rebels, victorious again last night in Wyoming, coming back from Laramie today. And the uh, Rebels win 75-69. That is three in a row for the Rebs, eight out of their last nine, playing some very good basketball right now. 17-10 and 10 overall, and in the Mountain West Conference, 10-5. and 5. And it's been a while since uh, we could have said uh, those type of numbers. And uh, a lot of credit goes to this team and this team's head coach and our good friend Kevin Kruger, who joins us now. Kevin, what's up, man? Not too much. How's it going? Good, good. How how did Laramie treat you? Did you get a cowboy steak? Uh, we did not. <laughs> I did not. But Laramie was good. The weather was actually pretty nice, so all it was all good. That's good. I mean, when you go to Laramie and get a victory and get a decent meal and not be, uh, let's say, set aside by weather conditions, that's a good trip, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that, that's one of the wins for sure. <laughs> All right, let's talk about it last night, uh, the victory. You guys were in control of this game pretty much, led most of the game, and then the final minute and a half, it got a little scary there. And then Wyoming came back, uh, you knotted it up there at 61. You go into overtime. You had a little bit of foul trouble. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the game, especially there in the in the second half and um, you know some of the troubles that you guys uh, encountered. But were able to uh, to stave them off. Talk a little bit how that was feeling there in the second half last night. Yeah, I mean, like you said, we had a, a great first half defensively, not our best first half offensively, but 19 points given up is a, is a solid first half. And then um, really just kind of did a good job, you know, keeping our distance for the majority of the game. But then in the last you know minute or so, just made some, uh, you know, just made some interesting decisions and some interesting plays. And, uh, you know, kept them alive and kept them in it. And then, uh, of course, uh, Combs knocks two free throws down to go into overtime. But, uh, again, just uh, something where we had a, a really good stretch. Wyoming competed, of course, the entire game, just like our guys did, and, and just made some decisions we'd like to make differently next time to send it into overtime. But then to prevail in overtime is pretty uh, is a pretty good testament to the guys in terms of where they were at mentally because uh, they very easily could have folded. You're right, and, and when ultimately you get the victory, that's all that matters. But then there's something about getting an overtime victory as well, too, when you get pushed, especially on the road. But then you're able to take control in the OT session and then to, to get out of there with a win. I mean, that had to feel good not only for you but for, for for the guys, especially considering that you did have to deal with a lot of foul trouble last night. Well, no question. I mean, any overtime victory feels feels good to get if you come back to send it into overtime or even if you give up a lead to go into overtime if you're able to get that overtime win it's uh 
it's a, a definitely a good feeling because it, it shows resolve. You know, it's the extra five minutes, and both teams, of course, are are playing even you know with a little more focus and a little more urgency. So, uh, you know, every every possession is even is highlighted that much more being in overtime. So to go out of there and to to leave there with a with a win um, was just uh, to kind of keep to get back on the uh, a little bit of a streak. You know. It, uh, have a good, have a pretty good thing going. So to to keep it, you know, going and keep it in that direction and keep positive and happy is uh, is just really good for the guys going into the last few games. You know, the lone game, Kevin, that you guys lost and you know won eight out of your last nine uh, was you know against Reno and the free throws. You know, we're. We're hurting you. You're missing four free throws, you know, in the last couple minutes, you know, of that game. And I've been really impressed on how you've been able to bounce back after losses. But last night, what stuck out for me was you guys were 19 for 22 at the free throw line. And to do that in an opposing arena is always very, very difficult. Not, you know, being familiar with the surroundings and that scene and that floor and those rims and that sort of thing. But when you needed to make free throws last night, you guys came through. Yeah, it's really been the last two games. Uh, yeah, you know, I was going to say that State, too. We, right, right. Yeah, we've 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 clinched the last two games with free throws, and uh, you know, again, you know, if we if we wouldn't have made our free throws last night, we wouldn't have it wouldn't have been a tie game with those two with the two free throws by Combs at the end for Wyoming. It would have been to win it. So uh, you know, it's it, it, really good. I'm really proud of the guys for for, for focusing in, locking in, just kind of taking that step because uh, you know it, it hurts when free throws cost you a game because you feel like you do everything right and it just comes down to a couple of mr made free throws but to step up to the line and knock down free throws like the guys have been is uh it just increases the confidence i think of the whole group uh not just for free throws but just in everything they do every game it seems like it's somebody different that is uh, that's stepping up we've seen you know with uh you know dj stepping up before and then you and i've talked a lot about rob whaley you know he was injured and he he came up big last night. I didn't know what the status was if he was actually going to play or not. Was there, was there any concern with him being able to go or at least you know even go seventy five or hundred percent last night? Oh, absolutely. I think you know with with the pretty quick turnaround um, to Tuesday. You know, there's, so there's just Sunday and Monday is just uh, it was just based on off the reaction and the MRI and X ray and and uh, when it showed that there would he couldn't do any further damage to it. Um, it became a pain tolerance, and he gave it a try running around and jogging around on Monday and, and said he wanted to go on Tuesday. So, um, yeah, there's always a little concern there because you don't want guys to go out there timid. Um, but, uh, you know, Rob battled through it, and if there was any discomfort or pain, he, he didn't show it and had a pretty good night. You know, you got a big production out of Caleb Boone last night uh, with, with Keelan you know, fouling out. Talk a little bit about his performance and especially down the stretch in an OT. Oh, he was a, uh, you know, Keelan and Caleb both. Uh, I thought had good games. Caleb maybe his best overall game offensively and defensively of the year. Um, just making big shots. You know, it's back-to-back games where Keelan's made really big shots. Uh, and then, uh, and of course, last night Caleb had a bunch of really good plays around the rim offensively. But then also a lot of great coverages defensively in the pick and roll or, or on the help side. So uh, uh, just a, a really good outing for both of them. Uh, on the road, you you know you got to have that type of focus and intent, and and um, it was just a really good, I thought, overall game uh, for the whole group. You know, didn't didn't light the world on fire offensively in the first half, but uh, did what it needed to defensively, and in the second half, 
got a little bit of a rhythm to the game. And then, of course, as we know, made some interesting decisions, but then battled back in overtime to get the win. Kevin Kruger joins us, UNLV head coach. Rebels victorious last night on the road in Wyoming, 75-69. Winners of three in a row, eight of their last nine. Kevin, let me ask you, did, did you feel kind of a, a turn in either momentum or confidence in the guys during during the you know this this stretch here where things started to really turn around for you and what can you pinpoint of like what it is that you've gone on this run here well i think when you look back at it you know of course after the air force game we go to san jose and for about 30 minutes almost we we struggle and we're we're kind of a step behind we're a step slow we're just kind of uh you know just it's just the step slow is really kind of the only way you can put it. You know, we just didn't seem to have quite that spark and that umph. And then uh, from that point on, I mean, we finished, you know, second half, we finished with our making our final 14 field goal attempts in that game. And confidence got rolling and, and, and guys started having fun and smiling again. And, and um, you know, since then, have just continued to get better and better each game. And, uh, you know, we've won games in different styles in different ways, high scoring, low scoring, you know, at home, on the road. And, and uh, but I think right now there's there's a level of confidence that if we just if we stick together and we all know what each other's going to do and try to do that to the best of our ability that we can give ourselves a chance to win games. All right, uh, we mentioned seventeen and ten right now, ten and five in conference, and I know that you don't want to get caught up, like I said, scoreboard watching or standings looking, but obviously that is something that you know you've got to look at because you got the Mountain West Conference tournament right around the corner. It's very important to get, especially one of those you know top four seeds. Uh, talk a little bit about the mindset as you come down the stretch here, and I know you got three regular seasons game left, but a, a look ahead to the tournament and where do you guys want to be when it comes at seeding time? Yeah, I mean, it really is one thing where, you know, we all we're worried about right now is San Jose and what we have to do to give ourselves a chance to win that game. It's a, it's a hard conference to win games in. And, uh, you know, if, we, if you take them for granted, then you're going to end up losing them and, and you don't get them back. And that's, uh, that's something that we've gotten better at this year. And, you know, but, but we know how hard San Jose plays. We know how good of a team they are and they can be. And, uh, so all of our focus right now is on San Jose. And, you know, like we talked about with the guys, the, it's just about doing what we can do and everything will, will be where we want it to be at the end of the year. Um, you know, even going back to December, we talked about, you know, uh, folk, you know, we had some injuries, we had some setbacks, some adversity, and we just talked about working really hard to be who we wanted to be on January 1. Yeah, and uh, and and that's where, you know, I thought, you know, from January one, we've had we played a lot of really good basketball. You guys have, and again, you don't like to like to go back and, and look back, but I know in the back of your mind, you've got to say, oh man, you know, you go back and you look at the Air Force game, a game we should have won, a couple others, and then the you know the Nevada game. I mean, we're talking about a team like you said that's ten and five in conference, seventeen and ten overall, very easily. You know, the narrative could be totally different where you're talking about you've already got 20 wins and maybe you're you're at the top of the Mountain West Conference standings. I know that you can't you don't want to look at it like that, but maybe that's something just internally within the team it's like, "Hey man, when you guys ever start to doubt yourself, I mean, you know, we're playing great right now, but ideal or you know, literally, you know, you guys could have been on like a 12 or 13 game winning streak. Have you ever looked at it like that?" Oh, I mean, you can, but then you have to look at the other side as well. You know where 
uh, you know, if, if Xavier Dutel's shot goes in at Fresno, we lose by one. Yeah. You know, if, uh, you know, if, if Combs is, if Keelan's foul and he makes it last night, he makes the free throw, we lose last night. So, you know, you can, you can, what if you're yourself all day in sports? And that's, I think, the beauty of sports is, uh, you know, there's, there's that, you get that taste of success and what it feels like and you kind of chase that in a never ending way. And, but it, yeah, of course, I mean, as, as fans and when you have time to sit back and reflect, it's something that can always be talked about. Mm-hmm. You know, we can talk about Utah State game at home. We can talk about, right. There's no, uh, enough yeah. opportunities. And, um, but again, if you spend too much time worrying about that and not the next, the next challenge in front of you, it's, uh, the, there's just too much parity in college basketball to, uh, mm-hmm. to not give an opponent or, you know, your, your, your next day, all of your attention. All right. Final thing for you is we get ready to close out the regular season before the conference tournament. You've got San Jose state coming up here on Saturday, San Diego state at home Tuesday, and then travel to Reno to close it all out. Tell me what is the, the one thing right now as you head into this stretch that you feel the most confident about and what are you most proud of with these guys as you sit here right now when you see you know how well they've played especially during the last three weeks oh without a doubt i'm just uh, i'm proud of their resolve i mean you you know what it's like here in vegas you know uh the expectations you know the the dialogue and the and the conversations and you know that uh the what it can be like and there was a number of opportunities this year um you know that that we could have had excuses we could have said this or that uh, guys could have could have uh, you know not given it their all they could have they had plenty of opportunities to give themselves out you know to have a, a rough year and uh they didn't you know they just kept working they kept their head down of course we've had some speed bumps and we've had some some tough days but we've also had a lot of great days and this group is i think is a group that focuses on the great days and we focus on the the, the the great wins and the and the fun road trips and the you know the the times together and how it, we've done nothing but get better as the year has gone on no matter what adversity or, or speed bump was uh, thrown in their way and so I think that just at the end of the day I'm I'm the most proud of them just for continuing to fight not worrying about anything but you know each other in the locker room um, focusing on helping each other playing for each other and and seeing what can happen and I think they're They've kind of become a testament to that old cliche about, you know, never get too high, never get too low. Just work on, uh, put your head down, work on what's in front of you, and see where you end up. All right, and that uh, is a testament to, to their leader, man. That's you, because that's, you know, we've been through these, you know, win streaks before. You've been through, through some low lights before, and, you know, you keep it real. You keep it 100 with these guys, and you're even keel, my friend. So, uh, you know, you're in a good spot right now. Uh, you know, very happy, very proud, and uh, looking forward to how this thing, uh, you know, you know, goes here in the next uh, week or so and then head to the Mountain West Conference Tournament. So uh, congratulations, and uh, let's go get another victory on Saturday, and then we'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Take care, man. There he is, Kevin Kruger, doing a fantastic job. Uh, Rebels, 17-10, and 10-5 and 5 in conference. Next up, San Jose State coming up on Saturday night, a very winnable game. It is a game they should win, and you don't want to look ahead here, but it's one game at a time. That's the mentality that you have to have, and uh, the Rebels have done that. But again, the big one is coming up Tuesday, and a chance for them to get a little revenge because they did lose that game against San Diego State where they played a very good half of basketball at San Diego State. You know, going back to the end of, uh, you know, uh, back in January, 
And now they got uh, San Diego State, the Aztecs at home, the team that went to the national championship game. And they can be vulnerable, as we've seen so far this year. You know, a team that is not at the top of the Mountain West Conference standings. And then you got your arch rival and a little payback against Reno next Saturday. So UNLV in a very good situation, very winnable game at home on Saturday night. And then you got the revenge motive going for you, a team that you can be able to to knock off and then go back up to Reno where you've had a lot of success over the last few years. Remember, Kevin Kruger's never lost on the road up at Reno and has beaten Reno every time except the last time where – you know, the unfortunate, uh, you know, happenings happened there down in the, in the last four minutes of that contest. So, uh, good for UNLV. Hopefully they will, uh, continue to, uh, put some more W's on the board, get themselves a, a very good seed from the Mountain West Conference on their home floor here at the Thomas and Mack Center coming up here in two weeks. All right. So we look forward to, uh, all of that. All right. Uh, college basketball been talking. A lot about that, and as we will continue to talk about college basketball as well, because it is March Madness time, and we're you know we mentioned South Florida earlier on in the show and talking to T.J. Reeves about that, the most surprising team you know in the country, and then you see what UNLV is doing in this Mountain West Conference. You know there is that debate that is out there, like how many teams are going to get in the Mountain West Conference tournament? How many could it be? You know the four or five teams that we've seen the last you know couple seasons could it be even more than that and uh as much as the conference is gaining attention and as much parity as you're seeing out there and you're seeing the rebels now put together this late run here as we head into march you still got to wonder the success of these teams going forward and again just you see how it plays out, all right? But there are so many quality teams that are on the bubble this year in either your Power 5 conferences or even the mid-majors, so to speak, okay? Gonzaga, believe it or not, Gonzaga is being spoken as a team that could miss the tournament. Now, to me, that is ludicrous. That is insane. They are still Gonzaga. They are right there with St. Mary's, all right? As we know, it always comes down to Gonzaga and St. Mary's in the WCC. More than likely, they will be facing off for the championship at the Orleans Arena coming up in, in less than two weeks, you know, on that Tuesday night, all right? But Gonzaga's got a big game tomorrow night at San Francisco. They'll be playing in the Chase Center. We talked to the big seven-footer uh, about that, you know, yesterday, and then Gonzaga has got St. Mary's at St. Mary's coming up on Saturday, and then that'll close out the regular season. So the WCC teams only have two games left. So people right now are talking about Gonzaga might not be in the tournament. What are you talking about? This team is still ranked in the top 25. No, they're not a, a top five team or a top 10 team like they've been the last few years. But when you look at their resume, it is still rock solid. They're ranked 23rd in the country. They are still blasting opponents. All right. And they lost a game against St. Mary's. And they've got one more game against St. Mary's so they could even that out. And then you head into the conference tournament where you're probably going to be a one or a two seed, as you always are, in the WCC tournament. Now, 
if Gonzaga gets beat by San Francisco and they lose to St. Mary's, now all of a sudden you got a Gonzaga team that could be a number three or a four seed, believe it or not. Okay, then the narrative is a little bit different. But it's just so funny if you listen to a lot of the national broadcasts where people are thinking that the Gonzaga Bulldogs are done. Playing in the first four game? Are you kidding me? Gonzaga, a team that has participated in the national championship game, has been in final fours, a team that is, you know, always a top seed, a one, two, or a three seed year in and year out. Remember this when you talk about Gonzaga not making the tournament this year, just remember how many times Mark Few has not made the tournament. You know what that number is? Zero. He's made the tournament every year. How many times has he missed the tournament? Zero. Gonzaga is still a powerhouse just because they got a couple losses. All right? Remember what Gonzaga did in non-conference, right? They beat, they beat Kentucky this year, right? In non-conference, right? Gonzaga is a force. They are still a force. So it just cracks me up that teams are thinking, okay, this this team is done. They're not going to the tournament. Or if they do go to the tournament, um, how are they, how they going to fare? You want to put Gonzaga in a situation where they're an underdog? Come on, man. That, that, that's, that's ludicrous. This team currently, right now, is on a six-game winning streak. All right? They lost a game, and you know what they did right before that? They won another five. Okay, so they've won 12 out of their last 13 games. And remember, they played a very tough non-conference schedule. That's why people are down on them. Oh, by the way, who'd they lose to? They lost to Purdue. All right? Number one team in the nation. All right? Purdue. Now, they've been number one this year. They're currently not there right now. They're right behind Houston, who's currently number one. All right? They played and beat soundly a USC team who was ranked at the time. Now, USC definitely has disappointed. They lost to Connecticut. All right? The defending champ who spent a majority of the time at number one. So you've got losses against Connecticut and Purdue and Washington on the road that you lost by five points. You got a loss to San Diego State, who appeared in the championship game last year. And this was all in December when those teams were all highly ranked. But since then, they've been rock solid. So I would not count out Gonzaga at all. St. Mary's is vulnerable. Gonzaga is vulnerable. It makes it very interesting. It makes uh, for a very, very interesting WCC tournament. Maybe the most wide open WCC tournament that we have seen here in Las Vegas in a long, long time. So uh, looking forward to it. But that last game against St. Mary's, 64-62. Gonzaga lost on their home floor. They're going to get a chance at revenge. Now, from a betting standpoint, you want to look at Gonzaga against USF tomorrow night and then Gonzaga at St. Mary's because there could be some value there for that. So just when you're counting Gonzaga out and now they hear all the rhetoric, they hear it, that they're playing for their tournament lives right now, that's a joke. Gonzaga is in the tournament regardless if they lose the next two games, which I don't think they will. They're going to show up. They're going to show out. But just because they may not have any first-round NBA you know, picks coming up next year doesn't mean they're still a solid team. So, yeah, Mark Few, good coach. 
right? Randy Bennett, good coach. USF, having a lot of success. Chris is doing a fantastic job at USF this year. It's going to be good, but uh, don't count out the Gonzaga Bulldogs. No way, shape, or form. All right, we come back. Chuck Esposito is going to join us. We'll uh, hit on that, and then another sad day uh, in the world of sports and entertainment as uh, we lose uh, another great wrestler and a great friend, and we'll hit that a little bit later on. I do exactly what I want to do. It's, it's the, the Dr. T.C. Martin. You say I'm insane? I say thank you very much. The doctor is now in. All right, continuing on here on a hump day, middle of the work week, Wednesday. And the guy who normally joins us on Monday, we stretched him out a little bit, all right, to a Wednesday. We're talking about Chuck Esposito over at Red Rock, the fine sportsbook director at Station Casino's Properties. What's up, Chucky Chuck? I'm all good, T. I appreciate you guys extending me out a bit. I had a few things going on early in the week, but uh, just kind of gearing up for uh, the madness was isn't too far away, the opening of baseball season, our college hoop last man standing contest. So always good stuff going on. Yeah, that's it, Chuck. You know, we, we aim to please. We understand everyone's uh, busy. You got schedules, that sort of thing. So I love having you on, man. So uh, we look forward to, to the madness. Talk a little bit about what you guys have been talking about as far as March Madness, as far as viewing or just uh, from a betting you know perspective with props. Uh, just tell us what some of those meetings have been like with you and the Jasons and company. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just an exciting time for us, T. I mean, the tournament as a whole gets seems like it gets bigger and bigger every year. Uh, looks like it's a little bit later this year on the calendar. So, with the pairing show on the the seventeenth, we'll be looking to get as many of the you know the early games up or the first round games up as we can that night. You'll have the futures up, the regions, and then we start working on a, a host of props. Um, I think you know we love it when guests come out and experience everything we have to offer at all of our properties. But it's just a reminder again with tournament time and game starting early in the day until late at night, especially those first four days. It's such a great time to get the STN Sports app just because so many different options you'll have, and it really does bring uh, the sports book to the palm of your hand. And it won't only be the guys. I mean, we're going to have a, a slew of stuff up for the uh, the women's tournament as well, um, as good as South Carolina has been, the ink that Caitlin Clark's been getting, the 24-ranked uh, Lady Rebels right now. So, uh, a lot of good stuff for both the men's and women's tournament will be featuring, of course, in our books and on the app. You know, it's a strange, Chuck, and you reminded me when you said that, you know, we have a later start this year. We've got basically a, a week later, and it always seems that that St. Patrick's Day is always on one of those days in the early rounds, it seems like. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, we won't have a St. Patrick's Day game, and, and oh, is Notre Dame going to be in that game or whatever? You're right. It's like, it's like uh, no games, but we got like the selection like on St. Patrick's Day. Kind of strange. That's all I'm saying. Just yeah, feeling. yeah, it's just a little bit later, but still. I mean, the tournament's just so exciting, and I think there's so much parity uh, this this year. T. I mean, usually you, you talk about maybe eight to ten teams that have legitimate chance. I think you could probably double those numbers um, this year going into the tournament. I mean, there's teams that um, you know have played really well at home. Uh, we kind of have said like the, the hub team. It is awfully tough for some of these big schools. Um, to win on the road. They've been dominant at home, um, but playing on the road is a small favorite. Um, it seems like the, the home teams have done really well um, in those games. So I think the tournament's going to be fun. 
going to be interesting. Love the last man standing contest again. We give back uh, 100% of the entries. Uh, it's kind of a cool contest. $25 entry fee for one entry. 100 gets you uh, four entries, and then the bonus fifth entry. And it's just like the tournament. You win and you move on, um, which is kind of a great thing. No question. Chuck Esposito joins us over at uh, Red Rock Station Casinos. Properties there, great places to watch the games, wager on the games. And uh, it's always fantastic, especially these weekends. And we know what the tournament is like you know, once it starts. And, of course, Chuck, we know what Las Vegas is like for our conference tournaments as well, the Mountain West, the Pac-12, the Big West. And it all starts with the WCC, which will start taking place you know, uh, first and foremost, you know, here in a week and a half or so. So we're looking forward to all of that. And, you know, you mentioned something there about the parody. And I want to see if you'd agree with me here. I think that you're going to have more of these power five teams, like say the Clemsons of the world or the Michigans, Michigan states, who, if they do get in, they're not going to have a very good seat. And, and those teams are going to, some of those teams are going to be left out because of the success that we have seen, like with the Florida Atlantics, and now the success that we're seeing this year so far with South Florida. I think you're going to see more and more of those teams getting an opportunity because of the success that some of these smaller schools, and let's throw San Diego State in there as well, because no one really expected them to go as far as they did, even though they're not really a mid-major. But you know what I'm saying? I, it would not surprise me if you're going to have more of these Power 5 conference teams left at the doorstep. Well, I think the key T is really the um, the conference tournaments, that it's going to make the committee's job a lot more difficult. I mean, we're looking at potentially six teams from the mountain this year. Um, you're right about South Florida. Never been to the big dance. Raheem's done a great job there of getting them ranked at the 25th in the country. He did that. He got he got Kennesaw State in it uh, last year. He's really done a, a great job there as well. Um, so I, I just think when you look at it, depending on how the conference tournaments unfold, it's going to make the committee's job that much more difficult, I think, with uh, what teams are in and what teams are out. I mean, I think Gonzaga's playing good enough now that they should be in, um, but we'll see what the committee thinks. Um, but I think that the, the jobs are much tougher right now. And you look at UNLV, even, who's played really well um, of late, played, has played well against ranked teams from their conference. And, you know, with the conference tournament being here, who knows? Maybe they make the, uh, the committee's decision even more difficult. Um, with playing well and potentially maybe even winning the conference tournament here. So I think there's going to be a lot of tough decisions, but I agree with you. I think you're going to see some big schools um, left on the, on the doorstep um, this year because there's so much parity and the conference tournaments will be so important to so many of these schools. No doubt about it. All right, we're looking forward to that. Chuck, let's touch on the, uh, the Golden Knights here real quick. All right, they've uh, been a little uneven as of late. Injuries uh, have hit the Golden Knights. We know uh, defending champs and everything, but uh, what has been the the fever, the temperature as far as wagering on the Golden Knights? And uh, are there are the odds a little bit juicy in the futures market for them right now? Since uh, again, you know, they're still maybe. one of the top teams, though. But still, you know what I'm saying? They're not they're they're not at that level where a lot of people thought they would be at this time right now. Yeah, I mean, I think you look at the um, the Western Conference, and there's uh, you know four teams ahead of them right now uh, in their in their in the Pacific. It's the Canucks, and then in the Central, I believe it's the Jet Stars and, and Avalanche um, that are ahead of them. But this is kind of the same position they were in last year. T, um, they were a little bit banged up. Uh, they kind of got healthy at the right time. Were able to make some moves the trade deadline, and it, it's eerily similar to that. I mean, the better still back them heavily. I mean, we're we're usually rooting for, I mean, from the fan side of it, we're huge Knight fans. 
but from the business side of it, usually rooting against them on a nightly basis. Big revenge win yesterday. Um, got beat last week by Toronto handedly at home. Come back and really play well yesterday. Got out early in that game and then really dominated against uh, a Toronto team that we know is really, really good um, this year. So I, I think overall you look at uh, um, you know the Knights and they're still going to be a team that are backed heavily by our guests. No doubt, and the Knights uh, on the road will face the Boston Bruins uh, in action coming up uh, tomorrow. And the Golden Knights, a substantial underdog, as the early line has come out on that game already. So, but uh, we know that the the Knights always uh, garnish uh, the action. Doesn't matter home or away, right, Chuck? Yeah, very true, T. Especially with some of these big matchups. I mean, maybe it's a good time to catch the Bruins. Uh, I think they've lost three in a row right now. Um, and the Knights come off a big win again, very similar to kind of the whole situation that we um, that we encountered last year with the Knights. And um, there's a good chance that Jack Eichel's back. Uh, you've gotten Carlson back now, and and you you look to get healthy and kind of have that swagger and playing well at this time of year. And that's kind of what they're doing right now. So um, I still think they're going to be one of those teams out west that's going to be really tough tough to beat. All right, NFL scouting combine happening as we speak in Indianapolis. And, of course, that just kind of gets the juices flowing and everyone talking, especially at the top of the draft. And you and I have talked about this before with your Chicago Bears there at the top uh, there, Chuck. And, again, you're a big draft guy. And uh, talk a little bit about, even though it's it's a ways away, but it's right around the corner. I mean, you got March Madness, boom, and then we get ready for the NFL draft. So a lot of exciting stuff coming with that. It is, T. I think this year, you know, it's such a quarterback-driven league, and I know you and I have talked about that so much that um, between Caleb Williams and Jaden Daniels and and Drake May and potentially uh, J.J. McCarthy, you know, could you have four guys go um, in the top ten? We'll see what happens with Justin Fields, with Kirk Cousins, with Russell Wilson. There's definitely going to be some movement, and there is a slew of teams that need a quarterback right now. So I think there's a real chance that quarterbacks do go one, two, three, it wouldn't surprise me somehow if J.J. McCarthy slipped into that top 10 as well. I don't think he gets past number 12 with Denver, um, but we'll see at the combine if some of these guys really can can raise up or rise up the draft board or not. Some of the top quarterbacks aren't working out. They've got their pro days, but J.J. McCarthy is, and I think he fits really well with a team like the Broncos. Yeah, and you're, you're a Bears guy, Chuck, right? It is so funny because – when you talk to fans or you talk to media guys that are in Chicago, literally, it is split right down the middle on what the uh, they think that the Bears should do. They should stick with Justin Fields. That they should go ahead and and just you know go ahead and draft Caleb Williams anyway, or you know let him go and and, and take your take your shot here. But let's uh, be honest, and I think you'll agree with this too. I mean, with the Bears, I mean, they kind of put themselves in this position here, and they're fortunate enough to go ahead and, and get the number one pick here again. But, you know, you've got to be able to, you know, if you're going to select a quarterback number one, it's not necessarily the right thing to do to throw them in there that quick. And that's what they did with Fields. We've seen other teams do the exact same thing. And as we know, you cannot win without a quarterback, but it takes quarterbacks time to develop in this league. So it's just really weird and strange that here the Bears are again, and they've got you know this big decision to make. And everybody that I talk to, if I talk to you and you say one thing, the next Bears guy I'm going to talk to will say the complete opposite. I mean, the way I come across, or the people are coming across to me, it is literally split as far as what the Bears should do. I'm curious, what is your take? 
I, I think it is somewhat T. I think it's because Fields is a is a good guy, and I think the the locker room embraced him, the fan fan base embraced him. But it still is a business, and you know, you look at statistically, forty touchdown passes, thirty interceptions. I think that ranks either 30th or 31st in the league. Outside of rushing touchdowns, almost every statistical category, he is in the bottom, you know, maybe 10% of the league as far as that goes. So I think it's really tough. And, I, and again, being a business, knowing that if you, if you pick up that fifth-year option, you're going to be paying him a lot more money uh, next year. He'd be probably in the range of about 25 to $28 million, and then the next contract after that is in the 250 to $280 million range. So you're a young team. You're really fortunate, though, because most teams like Carolina, who drafted number one last year, the cupboard was bare. They're not a good team. This is a Bears team that had seven wins, was playing some of their best ball at the end of the season, top five defense, some good young playmakers and Cole Komet and D.J. Moore, and now they can reset that quarterback clock and, and get – Caleb Williams, who has been, you know, talked about for the last two or three years as as one of those kind of generational type quarterbacks. We don't know if he will be or not, but even if the skill set is the same as what Justin Fields is, you're able to get that quarterback position for a lot cheaper price and kind of retool in other areas. I think they end up making the deal for Fields and trading him to either Atlanta or Pittsburgh. And then they draft Caleb Williams number one to kind of reset that clock. Yeah. That's my opinion. I like Fields, but again, I think it's a business, and you have to make that move um, because I think it benefits your team. We're on the same page, Chuck. Totally uh, on the same page with that. All right, my man. We appreciate the time as always, and uh, we look forward to another exciting weekend with uh, basketball this weekend. The conference tournament's right around the corner, so we'll look forward to talking with you next week. All right, T. Sounds great. Thank you. Take care, my man. There he is. Chuck Esposito does a fantastic job and has been for a long, long time. And, you know, we are fortunate enough to have uh, two of the greatest sportsbook partners in the world as part of this show, longtime friends with uh, Jay Cornegay over at the Westgate and Chuck Esposito at Red Rock. And, you know, gone are the days where a lot of these sportsbook directors and properties were rivals that, uh, again, you know, these guys talk, they all know each other, and it's uh, great that we're able to tap into both of those iconic guys that have been in this industry for decades. And I'm talking about going back into the 80s and the early 90s when I uh, first met these guys. And I'm talking about Jay Cornegay and Chuck Esposito. So uh, two great partners of ours, two great friends, and two legendary guys, and probably no two better guys in this industry just as far as their smarts with line making and also um, how they are on the radio as well, too, in uh, giving us the information. So uh, very, very uh, fortunate to have uh, both those guys part of our show. All right. I uh, want to take some time here as we close the show here and uh, talk about another athlete that, uh, that we lost today. I uh, got the word early this morning, if you are a wrestling fan, that uh, Mike Jones passed away. Um, Mike Jones, a.k.a. Virgil, Vincent a little bit later on, but we all know him as Virgil. Mike Jones was 61 years old and has uh, been battling some health issues over the last few years, uh, has suffered from dementia, uh, has had some strokes, and uh, a guy who obviously that many of you know that I've uh, had uh, a lot of great times with. And, um, you know, Virgil 
brought him to the NWC going back into the mid nineties. Uh, just, he left Vince in 1994. He reached out to me immediately. And not only did uh, we bring him into the promotion at the NWC with our shows at the silver nugget, the Aladdin, and then of course in Sacramento and other places as well too, but, uh, really enjoyed him. And I remember when, uh, word got out that I was bringing Virgil in a lot of people said, well, what are you going to do with him? You know, he was, you know, Ted DiBiase's, you know, valet, but the moment that I started talking with Virgil and he told me what he wanted to do, that he wanted to come out of the shell. He wanted to be his own man and his own wrestler, um, gave him that opportunity. And as you know, of all the highlights that are going out there today, what are people showing when they're showing their tributes? They're showing the NWC matches that we had Virgil in the branding iron match with Terry Funk, uh, the match, uh, matches against, uh, the honky tonk man. Um, the, um, you know, the matches that we had with Jim, the anvil, Nyhart, the, as we say, you know, the KKK match and those sort of things. Sabu's match, uh, Sabu's match as well. Cause Virgil said that he wanted to go hardcore when he saw what we were doing with Sabu and cactus Jack and Terry funk. He says, I can do that. And you know, we sat down and I said, man, you're perfect because he really fit the culture, you know, him and, J- and junkyard dog and Sabu and cactus and all those guys that we had. And Virgil was, uh, I'll say it. You know, and, and I've heard a lot of people say it, that he made his mark in the NWC. He was better in the NWC with us than he was at any point in time in any other organization. Yes, that helped propel him to get into contract with WCW and uh, where he got a chance uh, to do more wrestling on his own. But Vince kind of limited him until, you know, later on. But, of course, I'm biased when it comes to that um, because of what we did at that point in time in the nineties, uh, with the NWC and Virgil, but, uh, I loved having Virgil in those matches because he could sell it. He was an athlete. Uh, at that point in time, he was in his mid thirties. He was in fantastic condition and he was a guy that would do whatever is necessary in the promotion. The last time I saw Virgil, it was about five years ago when I ran into him at a boxing press conference. Where we were both at and, uh, I could tell at that point in time, you know, he was suffering for some stuff. Uh, he was out selling his t-shirts and just, it was like deja vu from all over again, what we did with the NWC and everything. I could still picture him in the black and white tights. And, uh, you know, we, we had a good time reminiscing about everything and he was always willing to work, uh, no matter what, like all those guys that we had, they would always be willing to go above and beyond. But today Virgil passes away. Mike Jones at the age of 61, may he rest in peace and, uh, just a, a great guy, a phenomenal athlete, a very good wrestler an underrated wrestler. And, uh, you get a chance to go back and look at some of those iconic matches that he was in with us. Uh, please do because it is, um, it is all over the place. And, uh, we're going to give you a little taste of that right now. Terry Funk lays a big left elbow to the forehead of Virgil. Virgil coming alive on the King of the Midsection. A chop to the face of Terry Funk three times. And now the Funkster goes into the table. Once again, the press table brought in the ring by the Funkster. And he gets leveled by Virgil. And Funkster's out on the floor. He's on Reverley Street. He just swung at the crowd back. I can't believe it. And Virgil's right out after him. 
Rose takes a swing at a security guard and another one. He's swinging a ghost now. That table was broken in half in the ring. And now Virgil and Funk are battling to get outside of the ring. The crowd is, and then the front of our photographers went down. Mr. Yamaguchi, the Japanese photographer, just got tied up in the middle of the match here. Look out, Virgil's got a front face. He DDT Terry Funk right out of the concrete floor back. I can't believe what I'm seeing. This is total chaos, total pandemonium. Once again in the NWC, I can't believe what I'm seeing. Photographer's gone down. I believe that was Jimmy Suzuki there, Big Al. Our, our friend from Japan, our, our resident photographer, and another American photographer's down and now Virgil coming up with a garbage can. Oh, is that Mr. Suzuki? There's so many photographers back. Everybody wants to see the NWC. And the garbage can on the Funkster, right there, right where he belongs. There it is. Uh, Brandon Iron Match, one of the best. My tag team partner who was just here, we were reminiscing just last week, and unfortunately we are talking about too many of our our favorite friends and superstars of the NWC who have passed in recent times, and uh, the news comes down today of Virgil. Big Al, you uh, heard about it. You let me know early on this morning, and you got to hear our play-by-play call. I can only imagine how you're feeling today, buddy. You know, T, you just uh, you just put it all in a nutshell right before you played the clip. It was there's really not a whole lot I could add to that other than you know he he, he Mike came out and and you know said I I want to be a part of this I want to be a part of the NWC and please just give me a chance and you know you didn't have a whole lot to go on other than what Vince had and and Vince really used him the wrong way and never let him expand. And uh, you gave him a shot, and guess what? He paid off handsomely. I mean, he had great heat in, in, in at both the Nugget and all the venues that we went to. He had a, he was a crowd favorite. Uh, when 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 Chuck used to strike up his music, the crowd got into a frenzy in a hurry. Hmm. Yeah, when you hear a hoop, there it is. I always, till this day, I still think of of Virgil, and that was a song. That uh, we gave him, and uh, he loved it. And like I said, he was he was perfect for the promotion in so many ways. And you know, I I have still heard this, and uh, you know that there was a, a story that was out there years ago, and it, and, and it, it surfaces a lot about you know Virgil being an overrated wrestler and all that sort of thing. And and again, that's someone you know that's out there that never knew the man or uh, you know. It, paid attention to exactly what he was doing you know I, and I thought that he got a bad rap you know with that and uh this is a guy that you know let's be honest Al his life was cut short because of the wrestling and because of you know being in those type of matches and things of that nature and having to you know after we were done with the NWC bouncing around and trying to make a living for himself but he was a guy that was a hustler he was always willing to work and he had a big heart he had a great big heart and he's going to be severely missed oh no question about that T once again as, as I said before and you said in your in your preamble a little bit um he was all for the promotion. He come he come in from the East Coast and he'd say, you know, TC, what do you want me to do? He was open for suggestions. He was open for any kind of match that you'd want to try to put together, whether it be you know hardcore or inside a cage. Remember, he was part of the he was part of the the uh, cage match with yes. weapons. Yes, he was. You're right. Yeah. 
and and he took that upon himself. And no one had ever seen Virgil do that before, because once again he was limited by what Vince let him do, and that that was a shame in its own right. You know, you you got guys that that want to fly, let them spread their wings and fly, and you gave them that opportunity, and and for that, and and and, and like you say, the tributes that are coming out to him now all have NWC clips with him because that's when he got a chance to show his true talent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no question about that. Uh, as we part here, Big Al, give me a Virgil moment that still resonates with you, whether it was in the ring, out of the ring, or the time we spent with him. Well, he was he was part of the he was part of the infamous branding iron match where I took the bump of the century. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, if, that match that match will go down in the annals of wrestling history as one of the finest branding iron matches or gimmick matches. With, you know, stuff like, you know, like, like they don't do in Japan, but, you know, as the way it all went down, it was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. It was one of the best matches I've ever, I've ever seen or ever been part of. And again, it was not just because of Terry Funk. It was because what Virgil, and as you know, to have iconic matches and ones that last in your memory banks forever, uh, it takes two to tango. And uh, he was part of that. So... Uh, yeah, no question too. And then, and then, you know, he was all game for any, any like anything that you wanted to put in front of him. He was ready to do. You know, you got to remember too. He won our, he won our first battle royal. That's right. He won the uh, very good point. Very good point. There you go. And remember, he was the guy that said, "Hey, you know, uh, go ahead. Let's you know, put me in that match and put a sheet on the thug or Jim the Anvil Nyhart. Uh, I'm, I, hey, I'll, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the heat and I'll give it right back to him." And he had no problem with that whatsoever, where a lot of other wrestlers would not want to even be part of that. But Virgil says, I'm, no, you're in. Absolutely correct. I'm in for that. So, uh, sad day. And it's, it's too bad, Al, that we're, we're, we're having too many of these sad days where guys that we're losing way too young that, uh, we have so many great memories with. So I appreciate the people that are out there yes. that, that are, that are uh, you know, giving the tribute to Virgil and, and showing our clips, uh, for what we did here in Vegas in the NWC. So my friend, uh, Thanks again uh, for being here last week. We'll look forward to seeing you again soon. And uh, thanks again for being the greatest tag team partner I've ever had broadcasting any sport or any event, man, because uh, I know you get like me. I'll just speak for myself. But when I hear back those clips of you doing those matches with me, you and I together, man, uh, that's gold. That's just gold and brings tears to my eyes and a lot of happiness. Well, you know, and, and what people need to realize, too, everything that we've said on the air, off the air, in the arena, whatever, everything was unscripted, all all impromptu and all just from the heart. Mm-hmm. You got it, brother. All right. Take care. Appreciate you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Have a great night. Big Al Lorenz, my tag team partner or in NWC days. Virgil, we lost him too young. Mike Jones. 61 years old. Rest in peace, brother. Knock, knock, knocking on heaven.